evening, Leviticus chapter 2. Sunday evening service as we go through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I just can't tell you how uh, blessed I am. This is my second time teaching through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Just what you discover about the Lord, about the New Testament, about Christian doctrine, reading through the Old Testament. And it's as good as it gets in Leviticus, as, um, uh, as often as we may hear uh, smirks and laughs. So, oh, Leviticus, boring, you fall asleep. Oh, man, that's a trick of the devil. There's such, to get people not to read it, there's such good stuff. Now, it does take work. This is, this is hard work, digging into this book, but it's, it's so good. So let's pray and get into it. Father, we thank you for the book of Leviticus. And I pray this evening... Lord Jesus, just as you took those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and you led them right through the law and the prophets, showing them what pertained to you, that you would do the same thing with us this evening, Lord, and just add depth to our faith through the study this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the book of Leviticus, written by Moses. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the book, uh, the book, the study. We start off in chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 2 tonight. The title pertains to the Levites. The Levites, uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, set aside to assist with the worship of the Lord. The tabernacle, and later the temple. Chapters 1 through 7 about the burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, and the sin offering, instructions on how to give up these offerings. And chapter 1 being about burnt sacrifice. Very distinct, the burnt sacrifice. Because the whole animal was consumed on the altar as opposed to the other offerings where part of the offering is... Um, is eaten, is shared with the priests. Everything except the hide, which was also given to the priests. But the burnt offering, everything other than the hide was uh, consumed completely on the, off, uh, on the altar. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a verse that I quote to myself um, several times during the week, every week, I beseech you, brethren, in, light, in lieu of all of God's mercies, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That is a direct reference in the New Testament to the burnt offering, which is a, the offering of consecration. The burnt offering was an offering where it was a free will offering. It was not required, meaning that it was not required just something that a person did when they wanted to present, um, consecrate their whole life to the Lord. It's a, a burnt offering. And so chapter 2 
We will be speaking about the grain offering. Verse, verse 1 says, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And so uh, the grain offering represented an expression of thanksgiving to the Lord. It was also a free will offering. We will see the sin offering and the trespass offering were not free will offerings. Uh, they were not like, uh, they, were, they were required um, of Israel and of the um, Israelites, the individual Israelites. The grain offering, an expression of thanksgiving to the Lord. It was a free will offering. And it was just an expression of, of thanksgiving to the Lord. Um, and and it's, it's that grain offering, an offering of, of, of fine flour. Of course, we know um, that Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 48, is, it says this, I am the bread of life. And... Uh, how critical is it that we are offering to the Lord an offering of thanksgiving every day, just reflecting. If, if you're having a devotion time, and I hope you are, each day a part of it should be that grain offering, that, uh, that offering of thanksgiving. I'm, every opportunity I can get, I, I, I remind folks in the teachings that I give that thanks, a lack of thanksgiving is really the beginning of so many of our problems. Romans chapter 1, for since Verse 24, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being, underst being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their Foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And then it describes this incredible downward spiral of sin, Romans chapter 1, and uh, you know, sort of makes you blush reading this downward spiral of sin. But as it gets to um, the bottom of the, uh, of the spiral of sin, um, it's just in incredible. Uh, verse 30 of chapter 1 of Romans, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. So not only doers of evil things, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy. Uh, and, and then it goes, uh, you know, part of that is sort of uh, uh, men leaving the natural use of the woman, uh, burning in lust for one another, and women the same thing. It all starts with lack of thanksgiving. And that's why this is something that is so important, offering God that free will offering every day. There's so much for us to be thankful for. About, six, about four to six months ago, I finally got into the practice of every day, at least Monday through Friday, 
of writing out specifically what I'm thankful for that day, writing it out. You know, but prior to that, um, it, I, I just sort of wrote the big things. And I have this other prayer, answered prayer journal, like big things. But there's something every day that we need to be thankful for. And so an offering of fine flour. I don't know uh, if any of you are Watchman Nee fans. I personally am. I think he's great. Um, and he has this whole thing on fine flour that when we're offering uh, that that that, it, that they couldn't have sort of rough kernels or or kernels that were were ground down. Uh, uh, I, rather, they had to be uh, kernels that were wheat kernels that were ground down to the place that they were fine, fine flour. And it's it's like that with. We need to be the same way that when we're offering ourselves to the Lord needs to be an offering of fine flour in those rough places in our life. Um, we need to have uh, allowed God to, to crush them into fine flour. And uh, so Watchman Nee uh, does that. And it says, he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Oil in the uh, scripture representing uh, the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, uh, the importance of the Holy Spirit being involved when we are uh, making that offering to the Lord. That, um, you know, we're not just going through a thanksgiving to, to, to God uh, as, as a ritualistic prayer. That it's, it, it's something that the that the, that the Holy Spirit's involved in and that it it's, it's, comes from a heart of, of good intention, uh, of thanksgiving. And, and it's just been oiled by the Holy Spirit and, and, says, and, and put frankincense um, on it. Now, frankincense uh, being, uh, had a good aroma to, uh, to it. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that uh, prayer brings a sweet fragrance uh, to the Lord. And um, verse 9 says that these grain offerings are a sweet aroma to the Lord. You will see that about the burn offering, that it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. You will see that about the grain offering, um, and you will see that about the peace offering in chapter 3. They're all a sweet and a sweet aroma to the Lord. Why? Because they were free will offerings. They didn't have to be offered up. And there's something that is especially pleasing to the Lord when we're offering our uh, our lives as a living sacrifice freely to Him. Freely to Him. Verse two, He says, "He shall put it on Aaron's sons." It, it put it, bring it to Aaron's sons, meaning the the priests, one of whom shall take the from it, his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Oh, there you go again. We didn't have to go to verse 9. It's right here in verse 2. Verse 3, the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring an offering... Uh, a, if, if you bring 
as an offering, a grain offering, baked in the oven. It shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with uh, um, oil. So you could bring fine flour as an offering or you could bring, you could do it at home. You could make a cake and bring that uh, to them as, as well. And so verse 5 says, but if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, so here's just another one, it shall be a, a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with um, oil. So uh, leaven in the Bible represents sin, and so the uh, necessity of it being unleavened here. Verse 6, you shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. So our service to the Lord, and we're offering our bodies as living sacrifice, should be oiled by the Holy Spirit, should not be done in our own strength. And uh, similar to this, it says you pour oil on these offerings. Verse 7, if your offering is a grain offered, uh, uh, oops, did I already, have I already read this one? I'll just do it again if I have. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on uh, the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so a memorial portion, verse 9, in other words, not the whole thing was offering, like the burnt offering, it was the whole offering. This is just a portion of it is burnt on the altar. The rest is eaten um, by them. And verse 10 says, and what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy uh, of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And so why do we thank God before meals? It's really rooted back to right here in Leviticus where there are these cakes being made, you know, this type of thing, and they represented uh, expressions of thanksgiving to the Lord, which they would do. Verse 11, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. We talked about that representing a sin. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And it's, it's, the, it's believed that honey also there is a fermentation element to it. And so anything that could cause fermentation, uh, which leaven could as well, uh, it, was, it was kept out. Verse 12 is, for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. The first fruits, the first fruits of your uh, increase, the, uh, it's just an expression of saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this is uh, the first harvest. And so uh, there was a, 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 a first harvest and there was a latter, an early harvest and there was a latter um, harvest. But when you had a harvest, this is, is speaking of 
making an offering of it, but it was not burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. Actually, it was to be the Levites. Verse 13, in every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. Salt speaks of purification. He said, you are the salt of the word, that a world that purifying element you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your god to be lacking with your grain offering with all your offerings you shall offer salts verse 14 if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the lord you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire grain beaten from full heads and you shall put oil and lay frankincense on it it is a grain offering again an expression of thanksgiving then the priest shall burn burn the memorial portion part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the lord so chapter three chapter three is the peace offering says when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering if he offers it Um, Of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Uh, We're going to get into this later, this uh, peace offering in chapter 7. A distinguishing characteristic of of it is the animal is offered to God. A portion of the animal is given to the priest Another portion portion is given to the worshiper. It is uh, represents a sort of a thanksgiving offering for the fellowship that God has with His people. Now, um, at the time, and I believe even today, to Jewish people, you know, eating is a mystical experience. Everyone has the same bread, the same sauce, the same meat inside of them who are at the table. And there's sort of a mystical union going on. And uh, such is the case here with this peace offering. Uh, When uh, the the, the priest is having uh, part of the meat and and the people are having part of the meat, it, it was a relationship with God initiated by God because God is the one who is presenting them the opportunity for this offering. And God shares in the offering. And so we're in relationship um, with God. We are at peace with God. Uh, Look, I don't know how much you guys have in your investment accounts and your bank accounts and, and, and things like that, but I can tell you Being at peace with God is worth more than any amount of money in anybody's bank account. Uh, Being just at peace with God. And so uh, you know you're rich when you have that relationship with God. And so these offerings, they're initiated by God. And what's important for you all to understand that though we don't have a a literal tabernacle and a literal altar anymore, God has still instructed you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. And part of the offering that he's given to you for you to offer back to him, it involves all that stuff, all those trials in your life. Maybe they're 
is um, a boss that's giving you a hard time, or there's a, a child giving you a hard time, um, or there's a financial difficulty, or some, a coworker is, or, a, or, or a, someone in your school or something is, is slandering you, uh, or, or there is, you're in some kind of ministry where, um, or maybe you're, it's a job where it's not appreciated at all. Rather than grumbling about all those things, because the Bible says when you're grumbling about those things, you're actually grumbling about God, you should recognize that it's an offering that God has given you to offer back to Him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, free will. And if you do it, if you're, you're able to get to that place of joy, it's a sweet aroma to Him. So just like he's giving these offerings, these grain offerings, these peace offerings in chapter 3, he's given us an offering. So important that we understand that. But the peace offering, um, verse 2 says, um, he shall lay his hand on the head of uh, his offering and kill it at the door of tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. Above the kidneys he shall remove, and Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is uh, on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So what's really going on here? is a big old celebration barbecue. And as we go on through the Old Testament, they'd have these times where everyone's offering their peace offering, and it's the priests eating at the same time as the people, and God is involved. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a form of, uh, of, a, of a fellowship that everyone's having with God. Now, there's this uh, funky part here where they're removing the innards and that's the one thing that's burned on the altar. Everything else is eaten. And you can go into commentaries and try to read uh, what exactly this means, verses 3 and 4. The kidneys, the liver, it's all being, th- it says in verse 5, it's all thrown on the altar upon the altar of the burnt sacrifice. And, and, and it's, it's burned. Now, we don't know exactly why those portions are being put on the altar. I will give you just one piece of sanctified speculation. Some of you may know this, but in the ancient world, and I believe even parts of the world today, they, they cut the liver out of animals, and they'd cut it open to try. It was a form of divination uh, to try to sort of figure out uh, it, more or less fortune-telling. Okay, ooh, wow, you know, this is what's going to happen to your, to your life. You, you know, you'd bring some animal, the pagan priest would open it up, take out the liver, cut it open, and, and read it like, like the palm of someone's hand. And so some scholars think that that's what's sort of going on here. They're just, they're removing that and they're putting it on, you know, on the fire and, and just allowing the destruction of it. I don't know. 
We do know that there is symbolism in all this thing. When we get to heaven, we're going to perhaps be in a Bible study where it'll be explained, explained to us why the kidneys were also thrown on uh, the, the altar. But um, this is a peace offering, though. It's an, uh, it, it represented just the fellowship uh, between, uh, between God and, and man here and the beauty of it. And, and what's so significant, again, this is God giving the sacrifice to them. And Isaiah chapter 43, it describes the different purposes of the life of God's people. And one of them is God says, I, I, I made you and I formed you for my glory uh, so that you could be mine, so that I could have you for myself. God created us for fellowship, for communion. So he's initiating. God's, uh, Christianity is all about God initiating, us responding, and he's initiating these offerings. Verse 6 says, if his son... If his offering as a sacrifice uh, of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without a blemish. So here again you see that um, if someone could not afford uh, a bull, which is, I believe, what's implied in verse 1, and they were, uh, couldn't afford that, they could bring a goat um, or a lamb... Uh, which is actually referred to specifically in verse 7. It says, if he offers a lamb as his offering, then she, he shall offer it before the Lord. If he, uh, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of, of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle his blood all around the altar. Now, you, you may ask, now why is there this, the blood pouring out? This is actually the worshiper who is coming and laying his hand, and technically he is supposed to be the one killing this offering, no doubt getting help from the priest. Why, why the blood here and the removal? Well, there's still, it, it's an important principle that we cannot have fellowship with God if there's sin in our lives, and the sin must be dealt with. And, and, and you know, from time to time, someone will, will come to me and, and they'll say their relationship with the Lord is just dry. And I and, and, and I ask them, well, is there sin in your life? Well, yeah, you know, I have this thing in my life, this, this particular sin. Well, well, then how can you expect to have fellowship with God? Sin needs to be dealt with for us to have fellowship with, with God. And that's why uh, this is a portion of the uh, sort of the, the procedures around this particular sacrifice um, verse 9 says then he shall offer from the sacrifice or the peace offering as an offering made by fire of the Lord it's fat and the whole fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all that fat that is on the entrails the two kidneys and the fat shall uh, that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food as offering made by fire to the Lord. So they throw the liver on, they throw the kidneys, and also on these sheep, um, there's these extra portions of fat on them that are thrown on the um, altar as well. Again, you can go to the commentaries. Uh, some people surmise that some of this is sanitary. Or some of this may be just good for them, the, the consuming all that fat, a bad idea. 
But it's all put, um, that's all burned up. Verse 12, and if his offering is a goat, so um, this, the, the, the bull would be the most expensive, after that is a lamb, after that is a goat, that he shall offer it before the Lord, he shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. The sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food and an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. How about that? You can type that one up, print it out. Put it over your doorpost. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. The issue with um, the fat, again, some folks think it's, it's, it's for health reasons. Uh, the blood, um, we will read otherwise, it's, it's, um, the, it says specifically that the life is in the blood. In fact, scientists will tell you that the life of the body is in the blood. And, and, and the blood is, is sacred. And uh, in uh, many of these offerings, the, uh, the, you know, um, all of them, in fact, the blood is required to be drained and there's a prohibition against eating blood here. The life is in the blood. And so uh, that's a big, big deal to the Jews. It's going to show up as, as something uh, in the early church, Acts chapter 15, where they had to tell the Gentiles, look, you Gentiles, you've got to stop eating blood. Your Jewish brethren and the Lord can't take it. And so it was a big deal to them. Chapter 4, the sin offering. Now, this is not a free will offering. This was required. Speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins uh, unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, uh, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Let's uh, continue. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take 
from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails with uh, the, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the f- bull's hide and all its flesh with its heads, its legs, its entrails, and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. And so... Um, A sin offering, these sin offerings, um, as opposed to a trespass offering, which is that in the next chapter, was for unintentional sin. Unintentional sin. It's so important that we understand that sin is sin, whether we do it intentionally or not. In fact, in, in fact, um, unintentional sin makes me every bit of a sinner as intentional sin. Um, you know, in the Bible, there's this concept that we have a sin problem, but then we also have sins that we commit our sin problem there's something in us that drives us towards sin and that had to be dealt with on the cross by the blood of Jesus as well as well as just the individual sins that we commit but unintentional sin in many respects uh, you know it's in addition to being an offense against God, it can make us a danger to our own community. I mean, if I'm driving on the highway and I don't realize it, but I am driving 90 miles an hour and I'm stopped by a policeman, he could give me a ticket and be perfectly justified. I, that's that's sin. It's unintentional sin, but it's also a danger uh, to the community. It's it's a, but it's also a defilement um, of God's law. It's a violation um, of His commandment. Uh, if all that happened is that we did our best and God just accepted it, regardless of the fact that there was still sin in our life, um, God would not be holy. <laughs> Uh, that that would he would not be just um, if 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 that's what happens and that's why you know the the, the blood of Jesus it purges us um, of all our sin and unintentional sin still separates a man or woman from God you know it it, it speaks here of unintentional uh, sin against any of the commandments. Of the Lord, chapter 4, verse 2. And think about when Jesus was approached 
by the Pharisees and the scribes, and they asked him what the most important laws were, or, 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 or the, uh, the, the, the most important law, or the greatest law. What did he say? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your mind, and your soul. Now, how often does a man or woman violate that unintentionally? How often? Shout it out. All day. We do that. We're not intentionally um, doing it. But it's a commandment of God. And it results us you know, the Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the, uh, of the glory of God. Oh man, do we fall ever so short of the glory of God just by our unintentional violations of that, the, of that law alone, which Jesus says is the, most, the greatest law in the Old Testament. And we violate it all day. Oh, how we need a Savior, don't we? Oh, how we need Jesus' blood on the cross. Unintentional sin. I mean, we're getting to the place today, of course, that a, a believer, someone can come forward here on a Sunday morning and, and give their life to the Lord. They can go back home and start smoking weed and have not the slightest idea there's anything wrong with it. Unintentional sin. That is sin, by the way. If you don't understand that, let's have a discussion after the service. That's a whole other um, conversation. But that's unintentional sin, cursing. I've heard some new believers sometimes like curse in prayers when they're praying to God. <laughs> you know, I love their heart, but that is a sin. It's an unintentional one. Thank God that the blood of Jesus covers it. So the sin offering in the Old Testament. It's really uh, confusing in, in, in many, many ways, the, the, the sin offering, because the fact that you know, it is unintentional in nature until you start thinking, wow, our unintentional sin is profound. And it has really, it really if it's not dealt with, it really creates um, an unbridgeable gap between man and God. Man can't approach God without unintentional sin being dealt with. Verse 13, it said, so in, in, in verse uh, 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 3, um, it's talking about the, the priests and their unintentional sin. In verse 13, it says, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they have done something against any uh, of the commandments of the Lord and anything which should not be done and are guilty and then it goes through the same kind of ritual and you may ask well how is that how can the whole congregation of Israel sin unintentionally well all you have to do is keep reading in the bible because you will see, for example, when Josiah, king of Israel, the last righteous king of Israel in the kingdom, before they got exiled to Babylon, 
they found the book of the law and they read it and he, he, was, he had such a pure heart, he was shocked and amazed about everything that they had not been doing. They hadn't been doing anything. <laughs> they, they, they were the, the congregation. So they wound up having a great Passover and this type of thing. They had been violating so much of the law, they just didn't know about it. But it was every much of, every bit of, uh, it brought every much of, uh, as much guilt on the nation as if they had known about it in a very real way. In the sense that the sin needed to be dealt with. So it's amazing here. Is this something like, is this, what is this? It's about a thousand years before Josiah? I'm getting my numbers uh, I'm not sure, sure right now with my calculation of that, but it's amazing that uh, 750,000 years before uh, Jos- uh, Josiah reigns that there's provision made for that. In uh, verse 22, it says, when a ruler has sinned. So God is, there's no rulers at this time. I mean, Moses is a ruler, but it's, it's, it's anticipating the time where there would be a king of Israel. When a ruler has sinned, and done something unintentional against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which uh, should not be done and is guilty or is sin or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge he shall bring as an offering a kid of the goat a male without blemish and it goes um, through the same kind of ritual if a uh, ruler and then it says in verse 27 if any of the common people sins un, uh, you know, unintentionally by su- doing something against the commandments of the Lord, which ought not to be done. He is to bring, there was not an option, he was to bring an offering as well. So it starts with the priests. Priests have to be able to minister to the Lord with their sin dealt with. starts with them, and it moves it to the, what happens if the whole congregation in verse 13, verse 22, or the ruler, if any of the, verse 27, if any of the uh, common people uh, sin. And, and by the way, you know, it's the same thing for the common people. Verse 29, he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering. And so, wow, that reminder of the consequence of his sin. But the, an, uh, 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 a, a, an innocent life, albeit it's, it's an animal here, but it's an, an innocent life is being taken. That's why we're always taking you guys to the cross. You, me, we, we don't get the benefit of putting our hand on a young goat or a young lamb without blemish. And, and having to actually kill it and seeing the blood flow and, and, and getting that sense of horror and shame of, wow, look at, what, look at what my sin has done. This is why we have communion. This is, this is why we, we, we're constantly being brought back to the cross so we can have uh, that same remembrance uh, as well. Okay, so in chapter uh, 5... we get into trespass offerings. Now, trespass offerings uh, are offerings for acts 
sin acts, whether un- you know, unintentional or intentional. Whereas chapter, chapter 4 um, it is more dealing with the sin issue. Chapter 5 is more dealing with the sins issue. So it starts identifying specific sins when it's dealing with trespass offerings. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing and he is unaware of it, he also shall be made unclean and guilty. If he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or good, whatever, is that, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. So it, verse 5 says, And it shall be when he is guilty of any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that Thing. So confession is being brought to the, the offering or the ritual associated with the offering. There's an actual confession of this specific matter. Uh, verse 6, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. So verse 6, again, the reference to a trespass offering, which is a, a specific sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he, uh, th- then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass offerings. He has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering, one as a burn offering, and he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its neck from its neck but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar and the rest of the blood shall be drained out of the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the a second as a burn offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. But if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil nor shall burn frankincense on it for it is a sin offering. So even the poorest of the poor, God is providing. God's not a respecter of person, but he's providing the offer opportunity for, these, um, for, for, for some of these individual 
uh, trespass offerings um, for someone to come uh, and uh, give an offering for it. Now, it's, it, it is interesting that, so, so the, the sin offering and the burn offering, verse 7, it, it's all being it, under the umbrella of this specific trespass that the person is uh, coming with. You'll, you'll notice that in verse 7. For a trespass offering, verse 7 says, he's bringing two young pigeons. One is a sin offering, one is a burnt offering. But the idea is, is a specific occurrence. There's been a specific occurrence of a trespass. And so they're laying out what the ritual is uh, for that uh, specific trespass. And um, it does get complicated here. Um, but then in verse 14, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a, a, a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekels of sanctuary as a trespass offering. When he's referring to the holy things, I believe here it's referring to the vessels, the holy things that are used in, um, in the tabernacle. So this would be a Levite um, who, for one reason or another, has mishandled some of those things perhaps in the transport of them, or perhaps one of them fell and, uh, on the ground or something, and a non-Levite picks it up, which is a no-no. There's been a trespass of the holy things, and so um, there is an offering for that. Verse 16, he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing, and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. And so the idea is that with this holy thing, um, I don't know, fallen and broken or something like that. And so um, part of this particular, uh, this, but the ritual for this particular offering, not only is there confession, but there's also some restitution because one of these holy instruments um, have been broken. Verse 17, if a person sin and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and he shall bear iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blame from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. I'm just going to go um, three, uh, two verses, really, into chapter 6, because there are other examples of trespass offerings, and I want to read them just to give you an idea, again, of... Uh, the difference between the trespass offering, some of which, which involves sort of individual conduct, uh, and a sin offering in chapter 4, which was all really involving our sin problem or unintentional sin. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by 
lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he is extorted from his neighbor. So every once in a while you'll hear that there's not offerings in the Old Testament for intentional sins. Well, that's clearly not true. I mean, uh, trust some of the trespass offerings that are um, some of the examples that are given for a trespass offering involves uh, individual sin, a robbery. <laughs> you know, you need to, um, and we'll get into later of, of the rest of what the offering was for that, but the idea is that these are individual occurrences. That's what a trespass offering is for. Um, and so uh, for Jesus forgives us um, of them both, whether it's unintentional sin or it's intentional sin, but both must be dealt with by the offering. Now, of course, all of this is a foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross. I love the book of Hebrews, which describes it about as good as it can possibly be described, says of Jesus that by himself he purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty of high. Purging, meaning not just atonement. We got into this the last lesson in Leviticus chapter 1. There's a reference to atonement, which just means a covering. All these offerings that we're seeing now, there's just a covering of sin. But they were all looking to the future to the cross where there would be what's called a propitiation or a purging of sin, a removal of sin, a casting out of sin. All those kind of references are used in the New Testament to what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so these beautiful foreshadowings of the cross that we read about in Leviticus, not easy stuff, to be sure, but wonderful and beautiful foreshadowings of the cross. Okay, we are going to take just the last few minutes to pray.